of nuclear war in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. What do you think could provoke a nuclear war? What could deter it? And what factors are you considering or weighing as you ponder the question? 888-874-4888. I really would like to know what you're thinking on this question because it seems it will become necessary to focus on the question the way things are developing in that part of the world. Uh, we don't like the idea of talking about it or the possibility of nuclear war happening, but we have to consider it just the same. And if indeed it's possible that there will be some kind of nuclear war, some way in which nuclear weapons are going to be used, we have to at least begin to think by now, well, what are we going to do? And and when do we start it? 888-874-4888. It's a jarring question, but we can't ignore it. Uh, we have a nuclear power, the Soviet Union, not the Soviet Union, Russia. I'm, I'm dating myself. And every day there is a hint that it is an option in the in the events unfolding it's an option so we shouldn't be so surprised if on some basis whether limited or full-scale war we don't know but we have to keep it in mind uh, things are so out of control and the leadership is not particularly accountable to anybody. Um, it shouldn't surprise that whether on a limited basis or a full-fledged uh, war, we should uh, begin to think about what if it is a factor, it becomes a factor in the hostilities unfolding. 888-874-4888, what are you thinking on that question? I don't see anybody yet. Is it that scary? It is a scary prospect, but we should think about it. This is part of the real world now, and we are clear that it could be a possibility. It could be a possibility. Ed from New York, we start off with you. How are you? Hey, Keith, how are you? I'm good. I, I'm hanging in. <laughs> you take your mind. Yeah, I'm hanging in. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, uh, 
Well, pertaining to your question, um, well, I, I can say just to, to qualify myself, I, I was in the military. I believe I've stated it before, and I did work with nuclear weapon systems uh, for five years. And uh, based on that fact, as far as use or lack of use of nuclear weapons goes, in the beginning, I, I was not concerned, really. I mean, it was a passing thought. But as this conflict escalates and more more um, uh, parameters tend to manifest themselves, I'm leery. On a scale of 1 to 10, I give it about an 8. Um, Putin would wow. be above Putin. Yeah, I give it about an 8. I mean, as far as the limited tactical nuclear weapons go, in that theater, there are a large amount of what what you uh, quote-unquote call suitcase nuclear weapons, weapons that are capable of taking out a grid square, uh, weapons like the neutron bomb, as you remember, weapons that have high yield as far as radiation, but limited damage to property. So a weapon like that might be initiated if Putin feels himself threatened, if he feels that the conflict is turning towards uh, more NATO-related forces entering the theater, because those the weapons can be used with plausible deniability. And uh, the effects of those weapons don't damage property, they just kill people. Um, in that region, there are a large amount of nuclear reactors. There's a large amount of, uh, of uh, nuclear power that's generated in the Ukraine, and it could always be hidden under the guise of a reactor failure or something of that nature. So it gives me pause. I don't think there'll be a global nuclear uh, uh a global nuclear confrontation, I don't think, I think that's relatively out of the question, but limited nuclear strike, tactical nuclear weapons, weapons that can be used with plausible deniability or other excuses, they lay on the table. And like I said, there's a class of weapons called neutron weapons, which emit higher amounts of radiation, but do limited property damage. Uh, with that being said, I think the only solution to avoid all of this nonsense is to is to have NATO and the United States become honest brokers, which is something that I don't think they're capable of doing. But to have these two countries, these two individuals, uh, Zelensky and, and Putin, sit down and negotiate a hard truce, um, give Putin the land that he wants. I believe his primary uh, interest, based on my research, is the Donbass region, and uh, uh, let Ukraine opt out of NATO and, and the possibility of joining NATO. Don't let them join the European Union. We're going to have to have some hard, fast rules here. This is a new millennium, and the possibility of limited nuclear strikes and uh, global contamination going to the ozone, going to a, a global warming and the climate crisis, this could be a detrimental effect, not only in that region on a, per, on a personal level, but on a global level, the, the, the repercussions of radiation in the atmosphere, the repercussions of, 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 of environmental change and climate change is it, frightening. So, I mean, yeah, we, we, you got the United States and NATO got to be honest broken. You got you to force these two men to the table and uh, make them work out a truce. That's the only way I can see that. Even so, it will have signaled the use of nuclear weapons, even on a limited basis, would have signaled a new, a new chapter in warfare, wouldn't it? 
Oh yeah, I mean, if if you if the positive, the thing that has prevented global thermonuclear war is uh, mutual assured destruction. Man, that's been the policy for several years between the United States and Russia, primarily, and China and India when they got into the game. Everybody believes that a, a global thermonuclear war will kill everyone on the planet, which is more than likely true. But limited tactical nuclear weapons, there have been developments in them over the past years, the United States especially. And uh, to be totally honest with you, there are people in the government that I know of personally that have a policy that these weapons could be used in a limited fashion in certain theaters. Um, uh, like the European, the European theater, um, especially North Africa, uh, other parts of the world where these weapons are considered to be plausible and usable. And that's what's frightening, because if these are implemented and they are justified, then, you know, mushroom cloud over Manhattan. You never know. What should, I mean, you mentioned the fact that the, the United States and NATO and whoever else can be uh, included to bring to bear some kind of influence on the ultimate decision, but it needs to happen soon. Um, would it not in any event have given the world the world community of nations uh, pretty much a, a, a green light and they will justify it in whatever way they want to, but it now becomes an option. Well, if, if a tactical nuclear device was used in this conflict and the aftermath was, was negligible, was what uh, was what the powers that be consider acceptable losses, collateral damage? Then forget about it. I mean, it's it, 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 we be, we be looking at Armageddon because these things have a tendency of escalating, and one thing leads to another, and if someone can get away with a half a megaton strike or, or, or a kiloton strike here and, and, and a kiloton, eventually somebody's going to push the trigger and they're going to light it up. And we're looking at we're looking at Armageddon. Thanks, Ed, for getting us started today. Uh, it was such a sobering uh, picture. Thank you very much, Jeremiah from Harlem. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Matrice. Good afternoon. Well, first what are of your all, thoughts? Um, First of all, I recall when we were discussing um, in the build-up to this conflict, several callers uh, sort of taking the matter lightly and suggesting that, oh, it's just a little, uh, you know, they're playing footsies or however people described it, you know, it's just a, a distraction or, you know, these kind of um, euphemisms or, an, or underestimating of what could occur. And now there is a war underway, and now we're talking about the potential of a, a nuclear war. So I think it would be really silly for us to continue to underestimate the potential in this situation. And, um, you know, Putin is uh, a man of war. He's a man of empire. And Biden has been rather hawkish in his career as well. And um, 
you know, there's sort of a game of chicken going on. So, you know, as soon as somebody crosses a certain threshold, the opposition can decide, okay, now it's time to make my, my uh, grand sacrifice over the chessboard, so to speak. And that's the concern because, you know, of course we get a lot of rhetoric as uh, citizens were exposed to, you know, the political rhetoric of these leaders, but then, you know, they roll up their sleeves and they get into the business they're really about. Once we put all the sort of the fanfare and the, uh, the propaganda aside, um, you know, they're into war, they're into power. And, um, you know, just like brother Dave, uh, reiterates every time he calls, these are oligarchs who are pursuing their oligarchical agenda. So we should really not uh, interpret this from the perspective of a citizen who thinks that they're being taken into consideration in particular. And, um, you know, I think we enjoy as members of the first world, I think uh, we enjoy levels of comfort despite our hardships in our everyday lives. We enjoy levels of comfort that lead us to believe that, you know, we couldn't be um, crushed like cockroaches as many, many people on this planet have, have been, uh, crushed and annihilated with no regard for their humanity whatsoever. And uh, as unpleasant as it is to think about, I think it'd be very foolish to think that um, we wouldn't be subjected to the same things. What do you think of Ed's analysis that NATO and the U.S. should be honest brokers? Do we dare think that that is feasible or could happen? Um, I think NATO is a leading terrorist organization in the world. I mean, I, I can't even comprehend the level of evil that they represent and that they've participated in in recent history. Um, I wish Ed was a, a diplomat on the global stage because he laid out the solution for the problem. But the concern is that, again, the oligarchs or whoever engineers um, power plays on this level they're not necessarily into a solution. Maybe they, they benefit from an ongoing conflict. So, you know, literally speaking, Ed was right on the money. Um, but unfortunately, we're not being governed by rational people. And what about the possible ripple effect? Okay, so the big guys are going to take the lead on this question as to whether there will be nuclear war or there won't be. But in any event, they would have set the stage for just about everybody to consider it as part of their defense or even an offense um, mechanism when they consider dealing with other nations and showing them, you know, their resolute in what they're thinking, that we don't have to go through the steps anymore. We go from making a statement to nuclear war. Um, well, yeah, that's the concern. That's, that's what I was alluding to earlier. You know, right now people are sort of jockeying around, playing what we would call positional chess. But as soon as the tactics begin, you know, um, pieces start getting removed from the board and it's dramatic. And, you know, in a moment, the entire situation is uh, an entirely different situation at that point. So 
Yeah, I think it would just be very foolish for us to underestimate this. And, you know, there's a lot of activists who have been anti-nuclear war activists who have been preaching when nuclear war was not particularly an immediate threat, who have been saying, look, this is the threat to world civilization. You know, on the long list of things that threaten our existence on the planet, the nuclear issue has always been right there at the forefront. And some people have been aware of it, even in times of relative peace. For yourself, I mean, your personal opinion, do you trust the leaders of the world to have really extraordinary control over their judgment on this question? Um, No, I don't trust the leaders of the world, first of all. So I don't trust them on this question either. Uh, Who knows exactly what they're thinking? I mean, I don't know what someone's thinking who's standing right next to me, you know, on a New York City block or, you know, sitting next to me on a New York City subway. I I certainly don't know what people are thinking at the higher echelons of power. But, um, no, I certainly don't trust them to uh, apply good judgment because... If they were inclined for good judgment, I don't think we'd be in this situation in the first place. And I mean, it's quite remarkable if you think about it, all these so-called leaders of the world, I mean, they don't concern themselves with things like global poverty, global starvation, pollution of our common environment. Like, you know, they, they're, they've all been rather cavalier, um, in, in how they've conducted themselves throughout their entire political lives. I mean, they, none of them come across as thoughtful people who like to make the world a better place. I don't get that impression from any of them, except for, you know, the one head of state who comes to mind who contradicts what I just said was Evo Morales of, uh, is Evo Morales of Bolivia. Um, and I don't know, maybe if I racked my brain, I could think of, of, of someone else, but in general, um, I think they're they're very cavalier and full of bravado. That's kind of scary. But thank you very much for bringing it to our attention and reminding us that, you know, anything can happen because we have zero control over what eventually these leaders will decide. Thank you so much. Jeremiah. Thank you. Hugh from California. Hugh from California, you're on the air. Yes, hello. Um, hello. In a, in a kind of a, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, okay. In kind of a simplistic way, uh, the, the, the presence of the war now, as it's going on, has both a threat and the solution to whether or not we're going to have a nuclear war, to the extent that those in power are acutely aware of how unstable the situation is and how it could lead and go out of hand. The war provides that that incentive to be very careful. At the same time, the war provides a situation in which the unpredictable thing can happen, forcing everybody to do it. Some some guy with a with a belly full of vodka in in Ukraine decides to launch a major attack on on a, on a Soviet on sorry on a Russian land. Uh, position in Russia could could trigger this, and you can't predict that. You know how much vodka is this guy drinking? And I'm I'm just picking a crazy example. And so it's kind of a dialectical thing. The, you know the, the the war 
provides the threat and also the reason for being extra careful, which is what almost any crisis situation can do. Uh, otherwise, uh, as far as the nuclear war progressing, how it would progress, I have no doubt that there is a tit-for-tat bombing campaign on both sides uh, leading up to possible full, all-out, strategic, worldwide nuclear conflagration. You know, it'll be this particular place will be bombed. If you bomb this, we'll bomb that. If you bomb that, we'll bomb this. And it'll, it'll escalate in that slow fashion. Uh, uh, and I think they already have this kind of worked out at each point with the, with the possibility that it can be stopped if rational minds decide after this or that nuclear exchange in a very limited fashion uh, will be the end. Uh, it's sort of, uh, as, you've, as your previous caller said, it's sort of a game of chicken where you've already gone past the, the cliff, you know. Uh, you've gone into the danger zone and you've decided, well, we're not going to take it any further. I think that these are the possibilities. And, and like you said at the end, it's completely unpredictable. It's out of your hand. Uh, but uh, just within the situation uh, of, of the Ukraine war as it's going on now, it, uh, it provides both the reasons for and against there being a nuclear exchange. Uh, and that's the irony of it. It's almost a dialectical irony of, of almost any crisis situation. It gives you hope and it gives you, you know, uh, the, the appalling possibility of disaster. So, you know, that's my opinion. But I'm, I'm wondering, do you, see, uh, do you see the possibility of an answer here? Uh, not war being the answer, but an answer to how to avoid it. Well, I, as I said, what I think is the, the answer for avoiding it is inherent in the crisis. Uh, we, 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 we don't, for the most of us as humans, whatever, uh, we only react, we only react substantively and with, with, with concentration when crisis arrives. We can also, at the same time, plan ahead, you know, we'll make plans to do this if that happens, you know, that whole algorithm thing, if this happens, then you do that, if that happens, then you do something else. Uh, you can plan all that ahead, but there's nothing like a health, for instance, like a health crisis for, for people's lives. They, you know, you go along, we go along living a more or less, this is what you consider a healthy life, and then suddenly a big crisis occurs health-wise, and you find out that there are really serious things you should, you should stop or should commence doing to maintain your health, and it's only because of the crisis that gets you to do it. And this is the irony, and I will say the dialectical irony of the situation we're in now. The very prospect of, of a nuclear war resulting from this rather nasty situation going on in Ukraine uh, provides both the reason for the worst case and the possible, you know, best case as far as the resolution. Because uh, we, we, we tend only to react to crises. Uh, and this is a crisis, and this is... Uh, uh, a situation in which, uh, you know, the, the people in charge, I'm sure there are camps in the Pentagon, for instance, and in, and in Moscow uh, that, that, that have worked out scenarios for how to behave uh, and, and are watching this very closely and, 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 and readjusting their, their plans. That, you can say, is going on for damn sure. I mean, there is no one plan to do this or one plan to do that. Uh, uh, and... Um, uh, if that gives you any kind of response. 
what do you think the ripple effect will be if it is decided that on a they will always tell us it's a limited uh, it's a limited war there's no such thing when it comes to nuclear war mm-hmm. it's going to be a limited war does it does it not open the pandora's box for just about anybody able to make you know the the electrons collide uh, also dare to take his or her place in terms of the uh, countries at the table of terror. Well, I think, uh, for instance, any 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 initiation of of, uh, of this kind of whether it's suitcase bombs, strategic battlefield bombs, or you know the real the city busters, uh, Russia will no doubt let Europe know. All the, the capitals of Europe know that you are not immune in a situation like this. If we're going to be attacked, you're going to be destroyed. Uh, and that goes for all of our allies. They're going to be told this, uh, and they're going to, and they're going, to, and with the expectation that they're going to feed this information back to the United States. Hey, look, you know, we got NATO, we got these alliances, and all that. But listen. Uh, we're going to be the elephants are going to trample us. <laughs> you, you, both of you elephants are going to trample us if this thing goes too far. So we have no interest in in supporting you in, in past a certain point that so this has got to stop. Now that would be either a, a warning before any initiation, or after again a tit for tat kind of thing. We'll take out this 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 capital, or we'll take out this this region, or we'll take out this military depot. In Poland, or we'll take it out in Czechoslovakia. Oh, you guys are part of NATO? Then you're part of the problem. You're going to start to suffer. If we're going to suffer, you're going to suffer. You're, if all of NATO, all of Europe is going to suffer. And there's nothing we can do to stop that. We can't protect all of Europe. We can't protect uh, missiles from flying into Paris. And the Russians, uh, have, I believe, would have no compunction about it after what they had gone through since Napoleon, since World War One, since World War Two. Uh, they have no compunction about it. They'll 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 they'll, they'll bomb anyone that they they'll threaten to bomb anyone that they think is has taken sides against us with the United States. Um, and I, and uh, as far as how it will escalate, how it point by point, tit for tat, and I don't know. I don't have this strategic uh, chessboard, but I'm sure it's there. And I'm sure it's not an all or nothing. It's not, well, if we, if we start this conflagration, it'll be, we'll be bombing Washington, New York, uh, you know, and Moscow and whatever. No, it'll, 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 it'll start small. In other words, the elephants will, will, will in preparing their, their, their fight, will trample, you know, a few uh, anthills uh, on their way to meeting one another, <laughs> if I can put it that uh-huh. way. Uh-huh. Uh, I, and I think, <laughs> go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I said I was agreeing with you. Actually, I was saying, "Mm-hmm, you're right." Oh, oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So I think that that old African adage really gives an image in my mind. As the elephants approach, you know what they're trampling. Uh, uh, at a certain point, you know, uh, you know, they'll be trampling everyone else before they trample one another. And I think that 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 kind of and it'll be a tit for tat kind of thing, which will escalate. And can and can quickly become completely unstable at any moment. Go all the way to the end, 
as we know, any any kind of fight can go. You pick up the papers, uh, a wedding party, someone makes an insult, they get into a fight, they come back with a gun, and then they shoot four people that had nothing to do with the fight. I mean, this is how things escalate in, in the world. We know that. Um, yes. And um, uh, this, in some respects, with all the sophistication of intelligence and strategic planning, that kind of gross, crude, a uh, description of how these things uh, uh, evolve is not entirely uh, unfair, I think. Well, thank you, Hugh. That was quite a sobering contribution that you made, and you put a lot on the table for us to consider as well. Thank you for calling in and contributing today. Marcus from Wisconsin, you're on the air. Thank you very much, Eutrice. Important discussion Hello. you're having today. Thank um, you. Thank you. Um, I have made a study of this since I was called upon as a small boy to hide under my desk um, during drills when we were supposed to expect a nuclear attack from Russia. Um, this was back in the 50s. Uh, so I've paid attention to this, and I'm afraid we're still, even even as somber as the conversation is, we're still telling ourselves some very comforting myths about how this would go. Um, I don't think people realize that the major threat in the 70 years since or so since nuclear weapons have been around, the major threat of nuclear war is not in a situation like this. This is actually probably the safest period um, in, in which nuclear war might actually ensue. The likelihood is far greater, uh, and the history shows this, that it would happen by accident. It, it's not that the situation is inherently unstable. This, this situation is inherently unstable. The entire program of nuclear weapons is unstable. You know, it's the, the theory behind them, in, behind their invention, is called universally mad, mutually assured destruction. That's what it is. So if, if there were an attack, all right, if one nuclear weapon goes off, one, one full-scale, sc- full full-size nuclear weapon, they all go because they're now all computerized into a code. If one goes, they all go. And there are dozens of nations that have them. Um, If you want to know what will happen, as you phrased it, once there's an attack, um, the, the, the center of the attack, wherever the bomb falls, the first one, will be converted into radioactive dust and shot up in a mushroom cloud. Uh, you're talking about doses of 5,000 rads. Uh, you're, you're vaporized. Uh, if you get a lower dose, say, you know, 1,000 a, a rads, uh, which is a rad is the measure of 
radiation dose. Um, the, all your cells the, will die. Um, your bone, your instantly, all your blood will clot, and you'll be dead in 24 hours. Now, okay, what if even a lower dose, say, I don't know, 400 or 500 rads, 50% of the population is dead. That's it. It's over. You're going to bleed internally. You're going to have septicemia, die of an infection. You'll be dead in a week. So this is what we're talking about. This isn't a, this isn't a, a, a debate in the Edwardian room once they go. Um, the, the, the history is, for instance, the only reason right now any of us are around is because a Russian Navy submarine officer named Vasily Arkhipov decided not to follow a launch order during the Cuban Missile Crisis. That's the only reason right now any of us are here. And it's the, you, there are mistakes all the time. All the time. Um, in 1999, um, when the U.S. National Imagery and Mapping Agency was putting in a new computer system, you know, to deal with the terrible Y2K problem, that was a complete fantasy, uh, it started a computer malfunction, and the entire agency was blind for Days and days, it took something like eight or ten months for it to be repaired. So we had no early warning system at all. You see what I'm saying? This is the problem. The, the fact that they exist at all is the problem. Not, not that you're in uh, uh, imaginary peacetime. There's no such thing as peacetime in the last 70 years. It's just not possible. This is all on a computerized code now. And if this happens, no more music, no more literature, no more family, that's it. You, look, you have to understand that since for 70 years... Hello, Marcus. Yes, yes, I'm here. I'm very sorry. I must apologize, but our system just decided that it will overheat and cut off. Um, so we'll have to look at that. But I'm very sorry about the interruption. But please. not at all. It's the miracle of technology we all have to live with. <laughs> well, thank you for being so gracious about it. But I'm fit to be tied on my end. <laughs> um, so, uh, I've been in your you, position uh, years ago working in radio, and yeah, it's uh, it, 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 it does get your it does get your gauge up, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Could you back uh, us up just a little, only to? fully make your point. Yeah, well, the, the, what I'm trying to sum up to people, and it's been the reason for the tenor of all my calls, the urgency of them, is for 70 years, people don't seem to realize, because I, you know, I'm guessing they don't study the literature in any detail, um, not because they can't, or it isn't available, but 
who wants to think about, you know, <laughs> universal destruction and the possibilities? I understand that, but I'm the sort of person that, look, if I've got a cancer, I want to know about it. I don't want to be shielded from it. So, um, but anyway, for 70 years, um, we have to accept the fact that whatever the media may try to convince you of, and this is their job, is to convince you that there are sane, sober, intelligent, caring people in charge, we have been basically ruled by a death cult. Um, and they dress themselves up as lots of different governments. All you have to do is go back and look at um, the literature uh, of, you know, fascism and pre-fascism, uh, because fascism is, to these people, a religion. Power is a religion to them. Domination is it's it's not a ge- geopolitical actors. These are religious zealots. Sometimes, you know, the ones we're supposed to worry about, uh, you know, are wearing hijabs and turbans and stuff like that. But the, the ones in the thousand dollar Brioni suits are the ones that are the real zealots. These people believe that war is noble. It's the highest achievement of humankind. And and we don't understand that. And again, you don't have to take my word for it or look at some conspiracy theory outlet or something. It's right in their own literature. Go read the nuclear policy strategy talk. And you know in five minutes you're dealing with madmen. These people are insane. So it's it's not until we fully grasp what we're up against. This This isn't a technical issue about nuclear weapons. This is us and what we're tolerating. Everything depends on what people are willing to tolerate. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just don't know how to uncomplicate it or dress it up or put a lipstick on this pig. There's just no way around it. So uh, I'm interested in your thoughts on this and, and your callers, of course. But please uh, take it upon yourself to actually look into what's involved in the entire nuclear setup worldwide and how how loony we all are to go along with this and pretend it's normal every day. It's not. You're right on the button. Oh, pardon that. That's a, that's a bad pun there. Uh, you're right on the, the, the... You hit it right on the nail. Uh, thank you very much, Marcus, and thanks for your patience today. Oh, of Thank course. You. Thank you, Utrecht. All right. You're welcome. Lincoln from Mount Vernon, you're on the air. Yeah. How are you, Utrecht? Okay. How are you doing, Lincoln? I am persevering, and I'm, in many ways, I'm fine. Good. Um, I want to respond to your thing, but before, I just want to respond to Jeremiah, and yeah. I want to also say to 
Marcus, I recently posted, so that they know where I'm coming from when I say what I say, I recently posted something on Facebook about what happens <laughs> in a nuclear um, war, you know, and all of what he said I, I posted, okay? However, I want to say this before I respond to your question. I want to say to Marcus, not Marcus, to Jeremiah, Putin has not displayed himself as a man of war nor a man of empire. Putin did not invade Iraq wrongfully. Putin did not go into Vietnam wrongfully. Putin did not um, go into, what do you call it, wrongfully, um, um, uh, um, Syria, um, Libya. Putin was not the one who overthrew um, Mossadegh of Iran in 1954, which is what is the reason for this present altercation between Iran and the USA. Okay, and I also want to say to, I think it was you, um, um, Putin, with, by displaying patience, has shown that he's a man of compunction. Okay, now to respond to your um, thing. Putin, um, it was during the Trump administration, Putin made a speech, and not only that, Russia, when they started this Russiagate thing, Russia sh displayed a weapon that they said the USA have no match for. They displayed that weapon then. And when they displayed that weapon, that was in the Russiagate thing, all right? Recently again, just a, I think that's a few days ago, Russia actually tested that missile again, which has no um, response for. And now that Putin accompanied that with a speech, he said he hopes this will quiet those who are aggressively seeking war. He actually said that, right? So, and so I want to say this to Marcus, this will not be no mistake. We're living in different times. And I'm saying this, I'm couching it by this, by showing you, Putin's have been sending out warning signs for quite some time, but people have been ignoring it. And I also want to remind you, in terms of Jeremiah, I mean, well, Jeremiah talking about Putin, man of war, I want you all to remember one of Obama's speeches before he left office. He, he said... Russia knows that they can't beat us. That was a very irresponsible statement. Most people forget all these things because they don't listen to the minute. Obama said that in one of his speeches. He said, Russia knows they can't beat us. Russia knows they're no match for us. What kind of a statement was that for a president to have said to a country like Russia with all these nuclear things? You know? And then now, I want to say this. If there is a war... And I know what, I heard what, what, um, what, what Marcus just said. It ain't going to go the way they think. If there's a war, USA is going to suffer first. It's going um, to be decapitated. And I, hope, I want you to humor me just for a second. I'm going to say something that I know you don't take kindly to. It's just a spiritual thing. And just, get, just be patient with this one. You know... Everything that Gary Nolan and everybody is saying, uh, they're, they're missing this. Like even with the, the so-called chip, all of this was, was prognosticated in Revelations. 
And I'm telling you, according to Revelation, if there is a war, it's New York City, it's the USA that is going to be hit first. It's going to be a surprise, and it's going to be destroyed, because it speaks of Babylon, that city, that the people stood afar off and said, whoa, that great city that once was, where now the merchants no more can visit. So I'm telling you, it's deeper than people think, okay? It, it's not going to be, Russia ain't going to, and it's going to be like what happened after the, the bomb was dropped in Japan, how suddenly the USA came to the top. It, what, what is going to happen is the USA will be neutralized because they shall have experienced shock and awe, the same shock and awe that they, which they rendered to Iraq. You know, so it is... People have to understand there's more forces at work, it's not just the human force. And we must remember all these billionaires, they have been building all these bunkers. Because like Marcus say, which I agree with him in this, they're all so crazy and irrational and delusional. They think they can survive. And they have sophisticated bunkers this year with all kinds of pleasantries down in these bunkers deep in the earth. You know, because they think, okay, we will, we will ride this out for a few months and after the radiation settles, then we will emerge from under the ground again. So, and I also want to remind us, when the Russiagate thing was going on, many of us, even this forum, kept edging it on, edging it on. And, and I remember several times I called and said, hey, do you all know what you're playing with? You know, about this Russiagate thing. So we are responsible for this too. You know, because we went along with those lies, and, you know, and those follies. Yeah. Hello? I'm listening. <laughs> I, 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 I'm riveted. I'm listening to you, Lincoln. Yes, I, I, I mean, there's much more to speak. And, 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 and what, what will happen is when I say that um, it will ha what will occur will be just like what happened with Japan. Russia and China will emerge as the two leading countries in the world. I want to tell people this, because a lot of people don't realize what's going on. I didn't want to say this, but I'm going to say this. You know, there are a couple of cities in China that's almost like ghost town, and they're futuristic cities, and no one lives in some of these in remote areas. <laughs> I've always thought this, that China says, okay, and most of these cities, like maybe 10, 20 people inhabit them, and they're, they get groomed, and I always felt like China said, okay, after this is over, if you bomb us, you will have these cities which will be able to absorb a few million people to keep our society going. Now, this plan is deep. It's deep. And, you know, and go back to what Obama said. Russia can't beat us. Such, an, such a puerile and irresponsible statement for a man from so-called Harvard has made. And none of us said anything about that because we were so enamored, you know? We were enamored with delusion. Well, anyway, uh, Marcus, we have to, not Marcus, uh, Lincoln, we have to leave it there for today because we're out of time. Uh, but the conversation will continue tomorrow, that's for sure, because we have to make up for time that we lost today. Thank you all for contributing so meaningfully and educating us and getting us to see the different aspects of what people will have us believe is a straightforward thing. It's multidimensional, 
and thank you for bringing that, that to our attention. We'll talk again tomorrow. Bye-bye.